we begin with this thought today that the cosmos is ordered, that the universe, the earth, the planets, the stars, they're ordered, and they have to be. That if the world were not ordered, the universe, the mechanism of creation were not ordered, everything would be anarchy. There would be no predictability. There would be no ability to grow food. There would no, be no ability to exist. We count on regularity of seasons, of times, of the sun coming up at a certain time. Can you imagine if the world didn't rotate in an ordered way that it just kind of bobbled? If I had made it, it would be bobbling. <laughs> and if it just bobbled that one day in Florida it was 85 degrees and the next day it was negative 30 degrees, then how could we exist we wouldn't know how to act. We wouldn't know how to, what to wear. We, wouldn't, we couldn't grow food. And what if it didn't rain but once every 50 years, that there was no regularity, we, everything would dry up, we, we couldn't survive? When I think about the order of the universe and what I know about the order of the universe, you could fit in a thimble, almost like a, Almost like a children's book is what we all understand about the layers of thousands, if not ten thousands, if not millions of layers of order, of the rotation of the uh, of the the planets uh, and the, and what the the role of the sun and and the and gravity and the ecology and uh, of the rain and the, the whole system of irrigating the land and oxygen and nitrogen and nutrients and protoplasm and all these things that are that are uh, have great order that when you think of all those layers it becomes almost impossible to imagine that this just came to be randomly out of what has now become almost common talk of the big bang theory and it is only a theory my favorite preacher, Tony Evans, puts it this way. It's like having this watch that has 37 meticulous parts, and it's as if somebody took all those parts, threw them up in the air, and they came down in just the exact right place with the exact right function and the exact right mechanism to make them all work. I mean, it does border, with all respect, on ridiculous to think that this whole thing came into being and... It just happened on its own. It truly is impossible. Most people who make those claims have not studied enough and read enough to marvel at the order. I would, I would venture to say to you today that even if I were not a follower of Christ, and even before I came a, became a follower of Christ, it never entered my mind that there was not a designer of this whole thing. So on a very broad picture, I would say that even if you're not a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, that just logic alone should tell you that these layers so ordered, so magnificent, so timely, so, so specific and detailed and so critical to human existence, that there must be a designer over it. As followers of Christ, we do believe that there's a designer, that there's a creator of heaven and earth. We believe it is the God of the Bible. 
And we believe mysteriously that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. We believe that this God created all living things, all that is, all that can be seen, all that cannot be seen, that there is a creator. So I'm going to begin today with an overture of sorts of just this long line of scripture passages to just engage our mind on the necessity of order and where it came from. Watch this. Psalm 74, verse 17. Now, imagine this has been written thousands of years ago. It was God who set all the boundaries of the, the earth. You made both summer and winter. Another place in the Old Testament, by the way, set, God is saying, I will never not have seasons. Once I've set the seasons, they will always be in place. Now, I just want you to imagine for a second if we didn't have boundaries on the earth that were set, that it was just random, it was anarchy, that the creation, that the Pacific Ocean could, you know, the earth would just wobble and the, and the Pacific Ocean would just wash over a number of nations this afternoon. You read in, and then the next day, the Atlantic Ocean would just wash over a number, over half the U.S. I mean, just think, God said, no, I set the boundaries and it was necessary, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, from one man, Adam, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the entire earth. And he, God, determined the times set for them, when they would live, how long they would live, and the exact places where they would live. I'm telling you, God ordered things much more than our minds can even understand. In Proverbs chapter 8, it's a mysterious chapter, and we won't go into why I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but it's the personified being of Jesus Christ. I was there when God, the Father, the Creator, set the heavens in place. I want you to take note of the verbs. He set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon of the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, he fixed securely the foundations of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters could not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. There is a designer, and this design comes from a God who loved us so much that he didn't want us to just live in this unpredictable, irregular, dangerous, and perilous creation. When my father uh, traveled with me every time I would move to a new location, he was a draftsman by trade. And he, he would always mark out to scale. That he'd always have this little graph paper. And he would cut out in my little area. I've told you about my little area where I have some things that, that kind of memorialize my dad. I have one of these little cutouts. And he would cut out the exact shape of a piano or a sofa or a desk or a chair. And they were to the exact scale. And he would lay them and eventually glue them on this. You know, he would measure my apartment or wherever I was going to live, and he would put them in there. And you dare not ask Dad if we could put the chair over on the other side of the room. And now I look back on that, and it was just born by love. That he would look at the graphic design and, say, and look at the apartment measurements and say, this is the best for you. And this is how it should be. And I think about God. This whole thing is not about control, but God, think about it. Out of love, 
created this universe that is so meticulously in place and in order. And he said, this is a place where you can live. This is a place where you can count on the sun. This is a place where you can count on the rain and the irrigation system. This is a place where you can breathe. And you're not going to worry if you got air tomorrow, but you're going to have it every day. And we live and breathe and take it for granted every day. And there's a designer who loved us so much that he put all these things in order. We find in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 25, a key thought for where we're going today. And today you're going to have to think a little bit, by the way. I meant to give you that warning up front. I like to think. I like to say, God, would you expand my mind a little bit? I don't know about you or me, but I'm tired of cartoon book Christianity. And so sometimes I believe it's good for us to, to, to engage our minds. Watch this. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 25 God says, I've established my covenant with night and day. In other words, we have an agreement. It's going to happen. But then he says, and the fixed laws of heaven and earth. There are laws of order in heaven and earth. And when there is a law, there's always a domin- uh, someone in a, a, dominate, a domineering position, someone in a subservient uh, position. What I mean by that is we have speed laws. You are subservient to that speed sign. I'm teaching my 15-year-old how to drive, and I've got my eye on the speed, the odometer the, the whole time, or the speedometer the whole time, like, no, you're over, you're over, because we are servants to that, that power of, of the speed limit. You understand? Let's take it to creation. Right now, you're subservient to the law of gravity. Man, I'd like to float home. I'd like to, hey, you know what, let's just float over to, to, to Orlando and just bypass I-4 this afternoon. But we are servants to the law of gravity. Make sense? So what Jeremiah is saying is there are fixed laws of heaven and earth. Answers in Genesis is one of my favorite websites. Natural laws, they say, are hierarchical in nature. In other words, there's a pecking order in nature. Secondary laws of nature are based on primary laws of nature, which have to be just right in order for our universe to be possible. Okay, I know that's heavy. So today I'm talking about order, and I wanted to set the stage in this somewhat complex overture, but it's going to have a glorious ending. To tell you, the scripture ends in this amazing apex of order. So what I'm going to talk about today is not not the fixed order of creation, but I wanted you to to have your minds framed in that there is this order and it's driven by love and it is necessary and critical to life. But we're going to talk about the order of living beings and it's going to end marvelously. We begin in the very first chapter uh, of the Bible And today, by the time we end, we're going to end in the very last chapter of the Bible. We begin in the first chapter of the Bible with the lowest rung, so to speak, of living beings, and those are animals. Watch, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, you'll see the natural laws of hierarchical nature. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God creates man, then God said, let us make man in our image, speaking of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in our likeness, let them rule over. You see the hierarchy? Let them, let human beings rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creations that move along the ground. 
So at the lower end of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, uh, uh, living beings is Fifi, the poodle, and antelopes and aardvarks, and so they're, because human beings are now above them. That's how God set the order of living beings. But within that range of animals, there's even, a, there's even an order in, within the animal kingdom, right? In other words, a squirrel doesn't have a fighting chance against a lion. It's like watching one of those shows where, you know, you fall in love with a cute little gazelle, and you know by the time the end of the nature show, they're going to get clobbered by a jaguar or something, you know? And then, and, and I always, you notice how they change their voice? Oh, look, there's the little gazelle feeding on a leaf of a tender tree. And then it said, and then, and then the jaguar comes forth. And, you know, they change their voice. And they're like, no, no, don't let it happen. And, you know, they cover the kid's eyes because, and then like, other children, okay, anyway, I'm back. A little dramatization there of a nature show. It's an order within an order, right? It's an order in the animal kingdom, but we're above. But then we take human beings, because in Psalm 8, in verse 5, David writes these words, God, you have made us, man, human beings, a little lower than the angels. We're above the animals. We're below the angels, a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honor. But even within the range of human beings, there, there's an order, there has to be a governor, a mayor, there has to be a school board, there has to be a congress or, or a king or whatever that government is, and some governments are brutal, we understand that, but for the most part, let's take our own government, it's flawed, it's human beings, it has always been flawed, always will be flawed, but even in the flawed government we have, it's like a million times better than having no order, no government, because a country without government, you know the word that's used for that is anarchy. So even in a structure, a human structure that's flawed, there's this necessity to have order within that. So let's review, animals on the one level, humans on the level above that, and angels on the next level. And the angels even have this order because God is above them. We go to Psalm 103, verse 20. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. They are under God, doing his bidding, mean they're the messengers. The Christmas story begins with the shepherds abiding in the fields, right? And then the angels show up, and they're doing the bidding of God. They're sending a message from God. And, of course, the shepherds are freaked out because every time we see angels in the Bible, they're like, wow, that, it's truly amazing. Like at the resurrection, Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven to do the bidding of God, going to the tomb. He rolled back the stone and he sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning. Now, I don't want to just like scurf over that. Like lightning. Now, I don't know where you've been or where you've lived, but out in the Midwest, the lightning is, is breathtaking. It's almost like sometimes the sky being a glass and someone taking a pin hammer and cracking and when it, it just it's just like stunning. It's breathing. You'll be driving. It just it's, and the angel had this brilliant appearance that it was like lightning. 
it was, the, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so freaked out, so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. They fainted because of the presence of an angel. You've got the animal kingdom, living beings, uh, you know, the lowest end of the living beings. You got, you've got human beings and now you've got these angels. But even within the angels, there's some hierarchy. Now stick with me because there's a glorious ending to all of this. I know it's heavy, it's, get, it's just about to get a little heavier here, okay? But stick with me, because there's a glorious ending to this order. Even within the angels, there's some hierarchy, because there's a reference to Michael, not an archangel, but Michael, the archangel, which means chief angel. Do I understand this? I don't. I'm being honest with you. Do I, can I just you know, write a book this afternoon on angelology? No. I don't spend my time on doing you know, those nth degrees. But you begin to read through the lines, and you just understand these broad concepts that, wow, there's somebody in charge of the angels. His name is Michael. Watch. For the Lord himself, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Animals, human beings, angels, and it doesn't stop there. In heaven, then this is, we've worked ourselves from the bottom up to where we're gonna land today in heaven. We begin to see all things put together. And in heaven, there are the angels, but there are also other beings. And these other beings are found in different places of the Bible. We begin in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. Surrounding the throne of God were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Now, we could spend two hours talking about who they might be. I have my own proposal. Let's skip that for right now because it's not really, uh, it will get us off track into a rabbit hole. There are 24 elders. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're, you're gonna just, I, I like to warn you, you're getting ready to be freaked out here, okay? And you're going to think, dude, is this sci-fi? But let me tell you why I think it's not, okay? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. I want to read this. So you've got the throne of God, You've got 24 thrones around the throne of God with these elders, these living beings called elders, and then you've got these four living creatures. They were covered with eyes. Told you so. You're going to freak out. In front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, 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 which means set apart. The word holy means set apart. It's a sacred word, but it also is saying distinctive, distinctive, distinctive is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever 
the rest of the 24, el- the, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Now, let me tell you why I think this is not sci-fi. If John had just, John is the guy who wrote this. John was Jesus' best friend, we believe. He is now transported into heaven like Paul was. He was transported into heaven, and he is recording what is happening. Not what, he's not making a prediction of what's going to happen. He's recording what he's seeing and what he's hearing, okay? If it were just John who, this was the only mention of this in the scripture, I think, man, the guy, I mean, what did the guy take before he, you know, he went to bed that night? You know, maybe he, had, maybe he had some fire hot, red hot chili and this guy's having a bad dream or something. But the reason I believe that this is not sci-fi or just one man's perspective, because centuries before, when Isaiah had the same experience and he had a vision of God, he sees the exact same thing in the same details of these four creatures saying and singing the exact same thing. In a different location, another man by the name of Ezekiel describes these four creatures with the exact same details, hearing the exact same thing. This is like we talked about last week, that the value of the scriptures is it's not just written by one guy. It's written by men in different locations around the globe at different centuries and different times, and they all came across with the same idea, the same vision, the same details to the meticulous level. The word of God is stunning, and it gives affirmation from a loving God that this is not just one guy sitting under a tree who's taking some exotic medication. This is something that is real that each of these have seen. Now, again, if you're like, man, whoo, this is blowing my mind. Hey, take a number. Me too. Tell us, Steve, how deeply and profoundly you understand this. I don't. I don't. But let me say this to the evangelical church. There are some times where I believe that we run the risk of losing, listen, the mystery of God. That we want to dumb it down to where we all get it and friendly Jesus, Jesus is my friend, friendly, 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 we're our best friends. Okay, that's all well and good. But the thing I like about certain formal churches, which have their downside, is that they have a mystery that they've kept of God. It's okay not to understand everything in the Scripture. It's okay to be blown away by the mystery of these things. It's okay to give our permission, permission to ourselves to say, man, I, don't, I can't even begin to understand that. But because I don't understand it, can't explain it, can't write a book about it, doesn't mean that it's not real. Because I can't understand it and because I can't explain it and write a book about it, doesn't mean that it doesn't impact my life. We should come to the word of God humble and saying, God, just like Isaiah, I, I bow down and worship you because this is stunning. And it's okay to be stunned in a culture that won't believe typically unless it can explain thus the, 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 the theory of evolution. I can't explain a God. I can't explain. I can't wrap my head around, so I'm going to come up with a human alternative to that, right? This is how we work as human beings. What I'm saying is that it's okay to, have, to allow God to be mysterious. 
But having said everything that we've said, have said today, with the, the necessity of order coming from a loving God, and all these levels of animals and living beings, and then humans, and then angels, and then 24 elders, and four creatures, I know you're like, man, where are we going? We're going to a glorious ending. And we're there. Watch this. John is transported into heaven. And he, set, he sees the entire thing all at once, okay? So I want you to take your human lenses off, whoosh, throw them away, and put some eternal lenses on as if you're standing there with John for a second. And I want you to see how the beauty of the whole thing, this whole order comes into being in this marvelous moment that John experiences. John, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, John writing in first person singular. I'll have you take note of the verbs. He said, I looked and I heard. He was experiencing it, not predicting it. He said, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And he said, also, like Ezekiel and Isaiah, the living creatures and the elders, their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands of thousands of thousands. There weren't enough zeros for a human being to even capture what John was saying. I'm seeing angels, countless a number of them. I'm hearing them. Good grief, what did that sound like? And I'm seeing the 24 elders, I'm seeing the four creatures, I'm seeing the whole thing, but it doesn't stop there, verse 12. And they said in a loud voice, the lamb, Christ, who was slaughtered, is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Watch this. And I heard every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, every creature on the seas, every creature in the seas, every single living being that God's ever created is now all coming together in this massive ordered worship service. And they're saying blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne, Christ Jesus, the lamb forever and ever. Wow! Anyway, that's just my feeling on it. You say, man, my mind is blown. Mine too. My only advantage is my mind is blown on Wednesday when I get to study this. <laughs> but wait, there's more. And when I say more, I really mean more because that's been the focus of our conversation. Watch this. In Psalm 89, once you understand that this was thousands of years ago, Psalm 89, we find our core key for the passage and we land on that this morning. In Psalm 89 and verse 6, the psalmist writes, For who in the skies, the heavens above, can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? We're talking millennium ago that, that the psalmist understands, has an understanding that they're heavenly beings. That blows my mind. Who in, is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? And here it is. In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. Watch this. 
of the creatures, of the humans, of the angels, of the elders, of the living, four living creatures, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands, God is more awesome than all who surround him. You see the order of all things at the very top, at the very, very top, that God himself is more awesome than everything that surrounds him. So you may walk out of this building and think, whoo, okay, that's amazing. I got to go to work tomorrow morning at nine. <laughs> How does that play out in my cubicle, in my car, in my classroom, in my neighborhood? Let me tell you, because for me, I, I love taking the plane up, but I know, you know, we got to live down here. We are surrounded by many voices. We are surrounded by many temptations, many influences. Students this day, in this day and age, I'm going to sound like my grandfather, have so many more temptations and draws and voices. I had my first computer when I was 30 years old. My son had his first computer when he was 11. They have iPads, iPods, i-whatevers. <laughs> the internet rings at their doorbell and wants to step across the threshold of their lives every day. And if it's not on their device, it's on their friend's device. We are surrounded. Our students are surrounded. I want to say to you, if you're a student today, that God is more awesome than all that surround you. The influence of your life, the influence of moral uh, practice and behavior that maybe all the rest of your friends are doing, God is more awesome than that. You hold the line. You hold the line because God is more awesome, and there's a lot around you. There are sometimes for us as parents, and it happens so subtly, so subtly that all of a sudden our kids are in the th on the throne instead of God. That somehow our kids subtly move into the lane that they're everything. I know parents that the kids, everything. It's the gymnastics, the piano lessons, horseback riding, everything. And all of their life is disordered because God is not at the center. And we scratch our heads and, and ask ourselves, why is our marriage falling apart? Because anytime you move out of the natural order of God, life becomes chaotic. I have to look in the mirror constantly and say, Steve, that inbox will always be calling your name. That work will always be on your desk. I am, hi, my name is Steve. I'm a workaholic. It will always want to sit in God's place. I have to fight it. Why do I say these things to you? One, I save a lot on counseling. I just say it right to you. <laughs> Feels better to get it out. But two, I want you to know that whatever thing is vying for the throne of God in your life, this pastor fights with it too. Mine happens to be work. Yours might happen to be pornography. Yours might, yours might be your children. It may be your job. It may be your ambition. It might be your intellect that somehow you're smarter than God. Somehow you've got to have it all figured out, and that intellect is at the center. 
Maybe it's a past painful experience that someone hurt you, someone abused you, and that has become the center of your life when God said, that's not your narrative. I'm your narrative. I want to be your narrative. Don't live the rest of your life like that pain is your narrative. God says, I want to be in the center of your life. I want to be your narrative. Whatever that thing is that so subtly wants to get in front of us, I want to say to you today from the word of God that he is more awesome than all that's around us. And when we lose track of that, life will become disordered and chaotic. We end with the last chapter of the Bible today, Revelation chapter 22. And I want to show you something so crazy because you may look at a guy like John and think, dude, that guy, man, he was high ranking. But this is where John, we can relate to him. Best friend of Jesus, the only guy standing at the cross, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who got to write books of the Bible, the one who got transported into heaven and seeing this amazing thing. At the very end of the Bible, watch what happens. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 8, I, John, signing off now, I, John, am the one who heard and saw all of these things. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. He was mesmerized by an angel. And after all of that, seeing the resurrected Christ, being transported to heaven, best friend of Christ, after all that, he lost his way. He worshiped the wrong thing. It gives me great hope because I'm like, dude, if they got like that, you know, I'm all right and my struggles and, I, and, he, and God gets me. The angel said, don't do it. I just, I don't know. I, I'm going to have my own version of the Bible one day. It's like, don't do it, you moron. <laughs> it's kind of this implied, like, what are you doing? John, don't do it. Watch what happens. Before God, all things become equal. The angel said, I'm a fellow servant with you and with the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, here's the message that we're going to sign the Bible off with. Worship God. Put him in his rightful place, and then God and life will make total sense to you. This is the story we walk away with. Whether you're a student, a parent, a single, divorce, widow, worship God and put him in his rightful place. It would be only appropriate for us to worship as we end our time together. Would you pray with me? Father, how absolutely incredible God you are. To love us enough to, to create this, this universe, this world, the ecology, the oxygen, the nutrients, the, the weather patterns, gravity, rotation of earth, all of these things so meticulously in order so that we might live a life, God, where we're not worrying and wondering what's happening next. And now, Father, we see this amazing vision of heaven where, as promised, you said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on earth, under earth, in the sea, on the sea, in heaven, not in heaven. Every living creature, God, 
will worship and bow down. But Father, in the meantime, we're here, surrounded by many voices. And as we come to you today to give you the worship that is so appropriate to the God of this universe, God, may we take inventory of our own lives and ask this one simple question before you, God, not before anybody else, but before you, to ask ourselves this question. Who is sitting on the throne of our lives? Is it our children? Is it our families? Is it our job, our ambition, our painful story, our intellect, our wealth? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? God, forgive us when we drift out and put other things in the center. And every time we do, life becomes disorganized and chaotic. So for each of us, God, we need daily calibration, including today, in this moment. So as we worship you, God, would you calibrate our hearts to confess to you, God, we need you at the center of our lives. In the name of Christ.